Hey, worship team, uh, thank you for doing such an incredible job this morning at hosting the presence of God. That was a good time of celebration. Amen? Amen. I'm very thankful for um, just the sheer number of people that we have who just have abilities to lead us in worship. Um, and even though Mike is not up there this Sunday, he's, he's holding, holding up the back wall for us this morning. Good job, Mike, holding that wall. No, but seriously, um, Mike, Mike provides um, a lot of, of, of leadership and influence over our, over our worship ministry. Um, he's really, um, it's, been, it's been a tremendous honor to actually watch Mike grow um, in this past year into the, the worship leader that he is becoming. And, um, and Mike, we just, we honor you and we thank you for your leadership. You guys can give him a hand. You don't have to sit there. You don't need permission to clap. Just heads up for the future. Um, I do have one other announcement that I didn't mention among our regular because I wanted to highlight it. Um, uh, specifically is that next uh, Sunday, we would like to encourage each of you to um, kind of set aside some extra time. Um, next Sunday is, uh, is this sounds, it still sounds funny, but I'm going to say it until I'm used to it. Next Sunday is Pastor Danny's installation service. Um, y'all get used to saying that as well. Um, but we're just going to take some time to, to properly honor him and welcome him into our pastoral staff. We're going to have a meal afterwards, and so we just love for you all to stay and be here as we celebrate um, how God is moving among us here at 1010. So please set that aside for next Sunday. We would greatly appreciate it. I know that he will as well. So, um, today is really our official first, like, Christmas series message. It feels like this thing that churches have to do, like, it's Christmas time, you have to do a Christmas series, right? Um, and so, the way that I get around that, because, because you know, the, the message of Christmas is the message of Jesus in the, in the, the dawn of God's plan, the Father's plan for the redeeming of all humanity. And so um, I just wanted to, I wanted to, you know, throw it out there that we're having a Christmas series and we're going to have Christmas Eve, but we're going to go about this in a completely unique way, okay? So we're not going to be turning to any, like, typical Christmas passages, okay? Um, And so if you guys could turn, actually, to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9 turn there or tap there or whatever your method is this morning. I'm reading out of the ESV for those of you who have the ability to change your translation. We need some light. Shed some light on the subject. Hey, now you can see your Bibles. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. So our, our series for Christmas is, is titled Light of the World. And um, while we do proclaim and confess that Jesus is the light of the world, sometimes we can encounter a couple of challenges when it comes to this. There's times, uh, anyone besides me ever feel like you kind of had to go through a time where there wasn't a whole lot of light, things seemed a little bit dark? Can we testify? Okay, there's like five of you. I, I don't believe that. My wife has two hands up. One of those is for me. And no, 
so we do go through dark times, and what's really interesting is that a lot of times when we go through those dark times, it's really challenging to see the light. It's, it's challenging to kind of understand that even in those darkest times, maybe even we could argue this morning that especially during those darkest times, is God most present? Sometimes, and this is specifically what I want to talk about this morning, sometimes the darkness that we're experiencing in life is because of our own failures. Anyone ever been there on that one? We got some brave souls. I'll, I'll raise my hands with you, right? Amen. It, and here's, here's what's really crazy. The enemy loves to lie to us. Matter of fact, the only words that the enemy speaks are lies. That's it. He is relentless in his accusations and his lies against God's people. And I have been at places in my life. I remember um, when I was younger. When I was younger, my mom, I think I told you guys this before. My mom used to call me Norman Nohead when I was a kid. You can laugh. It's okay. Everyone's like, I don't know if I should laugh at him or not. It's cool. Norman Nohead. She called me Norman Nohead. She said, because if my head wasn't attached, I would lose that too. (laughs) All right, so she would say that. I forgive her. It's all good. But I do remember having times in my life where I would literally think to myself, I don't know that I could ever change. This is just who I am. Has anyone ever been ever guilty of saying to somebody, this is just who I am, right? Can we just declare this morning what a big lie that is? There's this guy. He's responsible for like two-thirds of the New Testament, the writing of it. His name was Paul. But in order for us to really know Paul, we have to know Saul. And if there's anyone in this room this morning, I don't care how far away you think you are from God, okay? You, whatever the distance seems to you right now, can I just tell you this morning, by the end of this message, I hope you understand that there is no distance between you and God ever. He loves you, and he pursues you, and he is within reach today, right now. Let's start in verse 1. Again, I'm reading out of the ESV, if you have the ability to change or happen to own an ESV Bible. Okay, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we start out this chapter, this section of of Acts chapter 9, written by Luke as a testimony, as a testimony to Theophilus, who, and, and Luke is writing this letter to prove the lordship, the deity, the kingship of Jesus to this man, Theophilus. And he's writing in testimony to the accounts of what happened during the birth of the church. 
and Saul, this, this essentially a Pharisee, right? He was, he was um, well-educated. They were grooming him. Like, he, he was the up-and-coming guy among the religious elite of Israel. And it says here that he's still breathing threats. Why is he still breathing threats? Well, in order to understand that, why don't you turn back to chapter 7. Chapter 7, something happens for the first time in the history of the church. In chapter 7, what we find is there's this man named Stephen, and he's brought before the council. And Stephen, even though he knows that he's sitting there, um, and he's facing the people who are actually most opposed to his message of Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. He thinks, hey, this is a good time to preach the gospel. And so right there in front of the religious elite, those who are adamantly opposed, not only does he preach the gospel, but he points to them as the people who are responsible for the death of Jesus. And he calls them out. And it says in chapter 7 that they were, they were so angry that they were like grinding their teeth and like tearing at their clothes. And they drag him outside of the city gates. And Stephen becomes the first person to die for the gospel of Jesus. And it says in chapter 7 that as they were getting ready to, to stone Stephen to death, that they threw their cloaks at the feet of a man named Saul. <clears throat> Throwing their cloaks had two meanings, and it's really important for you to understand that. The first reason, we will get this figured out, buddy. The first reason that they threw their cloaks at the feet of Saul is um, whenever violence was going to happen, they took off their outer garment. And so they're, they're getting rid of them. But the fact that they threw it not just anywhere, but at the feet of Saul meant that they were putting him in a position of authority and honor. What we can learn from this is that in, in Acts chapter 7, Saul is essentially credited among the Pharisees for the death of Stephen. He was in charge. Right? Now, anyone in this room has known somebody, maybe even yourself, but don't tell on yourself. You've known somebody who got a little power and it went to their head. Anyone know that? Anyone met anyone like that? Right? <clears throat> the power went to Paul's head. He became very zealous. He believed he was right. He believed that this is the thing he was supposed to do. And so what he does is he, he literally goes on this rampage. The words that it uses in here literally is like, when it says here that he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, it's the same picture. This, this is a wonderful Christmas picture, so get ready to just be absolutely blessed by this picture. But the, 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 the phrase is literally similar to like watching a wild animal tear at a carcass. That's what it is. Merry Christmas. He's on a rampage. He's going after it. He thinks he's right. And so he gets these letters that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, back in chapter 9. I'll give you guys a second to get back there. So chapter 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly 
a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. Now, before we go any further, something really crazy cool happens here in this passage. Last week, we were in John chapter 15, and we talked about how um, there's this word there, abide, or to remain in me. Jesus says it over and over again through John chapter 15. Abide in me, remain in me, abide in me, remain in me. And he's saying this over and over again, and the word literally in, in the Greek is the word meno, okay? Just to say meno, I want you guys to, this is, this is such an important word for this season if we're going to really grasp what God is doing here. Meno literally means to make your home in, okay? It doesn't mean just to like walk beside Jesus or to like hang out with him occasionally. It literally means make your home in me. Everything about you, in me, in me, in me, okay? And here's what's really awesome about this type of relationship that Jesus wants with us. We can often think about our relationship with Jesus as being the thing that, like, we're doing with God alongside or, like, actually asking God to come along with us. But when we understand that Jesus literally wants us to make his home, our home in him, then all the things that we do then become through him. This should be very freeing for you. I know that it was for me. God is not depending on you to perform Truly, Merry Christmas, gift to you. He doesn't need your performance. He doesn't need it. How awesome is that? But what he does want is for you to remain in him to the degree that the things that you do in his name, the people that you speak with, the love that you share, the ways in which we express generosity and outreach and compassion, we do those things through the power of Jesus. We talked about Menno making our home in him, and I want to point something out that maybe you've never considered before in this passage. If you have, fantastic. The rest of us are going to catch up with you. And falling to the ground, this is verse 4, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, was Jesus the one who was physically being persecuted? No. Why in the world, why in the world would Jesus say to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when he says, who are you, Lord? He says it again. I'm Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Well, I'm sorry. I thought we just read in chapter 7 that he said that it was Saul that was persecuted and martyred. And that he was going through all of the area around Jerusalem, arresting, beating those who claimed that they were of the way. If you wanted any proof whatsoever that Jesus literally meant what he said, when he said, abide in me, remain in me, he is also saying, I will remain with you. I will be with you always. To the degree, this is, this is so Amazing. The oneness in which Jesus desires and died and rose again for you to experience with him is that when his people are persecuted, 
he is persecuted. There is nothing that happens to you that Jesus does not understand to himself. This is, this is a little mind-warping for a minute, but stick with me. You want to know why it's possible for your sins to be forgiven? You want to know why it's possible that, that these things can be truly removed from your life? That when Jesus literally says that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, do you know why he means that and why we can know that he means that? Acts chapter 9. Jesus cannot remain with you. Listen, believer, if, if you have placed your faith in Jesus this morning and you're here and you're listening to this, the reason that you can know that your sins are forever gone, that the active work of forgiveness and redemption and love of Jesus in your life is full, is because he takes it on for you yesterday, today, and forever. We are often tempted to think to ourselves, <clears throat> I've come far enough in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, I know him. I, 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 said a, I said a prayer, and, and, and that made a difference in my life a little bit for a little while. But this is just how things are now. This, this, is, this is as real as it gets in my relationship with Jesus. we understand together this morning how very untrue that is. Very untrue. There is no limit to the redemption and the freedom that Jesus is providing to you in your life right now. I want you to just think for a second. You don't, don't, don't confess this out loud, okay? That, that would be a train wreck, okay? I want you to think, just, just take a second, this inward Literally, like, as extroverted as you are, don't say this out loud, okay? I, I want, I'm trying to protect you here. I want you to think of the thing in your life right now that you think has been around so long, has, has plagued you so much, that Jesus could never change it. That relationship that has been such a struggle for you for however long it is, that Jesus could never change it. Do you have, do you have it in your mind? That thing, that person that situation, whatever it is. you have it in mind? And then I want you to consider the fact that Saul literally killed a Christian. He killed a Christian. He Dead. Right? And the next thing that happens is that Jesus pursues him. What? Kill a Christian, meet Jesus. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what it is you're thinking about. I don't care how struggling that, rela that relationship in your life right now. If it's, if it's an absolute mess, it does not compare to murdering a Christian. The next thing that Jesus does is meet him on the road. I think that the language here is really funny. <clears throat> Verse 3, now as Saul went on his way to discipline, to punish, to arrest the people that were part of the way, Jesus provided 
a way for Saul to become a part of the way. One more time. No way, right? <laughs> Keep it going, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is so crazy. It literally says, like, now he's going on his way. Jesus provides a way, right, to make him a part of the way. Literally, the, the, the people that he was going to persecute. Who just said anyway? Oh, man. This is out of control. <laughs> Verse 6, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So on one hand, point number one this morning is there literally nothing. Pick the worst thing, the worst relationship, the worst scenario. Jesus will pursue you even at your worst point. He will pursue you. There is no limit to his love. And he will meet you right there and he will lead you. But here's the thing. You cannot meet Jesus and stay where you are. Please hear me. You cannot meet Jesus and stay where you are. Something that I said sparked Siri. Okay. You cannot meet Jesus and stay where you are. Saul encounters Jesus. He's blinded. He's led away into Damascus. He had originally gone to, to persecute the believers in Damascus, and instead he's blinded. He's, he's had this in, encounter. He's not even eating or drinking anything. He is so undone by this encounter. Verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. After studying this this week, I, th I think that Ananias might be my favorite, like, unsung New Testament character, right? This, this, I, I hope that for each of you, that, that you, you gain something. If you are sitting here and you're saying, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, I follow Jesus with my life, this is a challenge. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and, and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name.
Church, it is so important to never discount a single person who needs to hear about Jesus. I think that sometimes we can get caught up and we, we think that somebody needs to stand up like I am right now and they need to, to be the one to proclaim. It became a trend in the church that, that if we were going to share the good news, if we were going to share about Jesus and salvation, um, it became this trend, like instead of equipping the saints to go and do the work of ministry as Ephesians 4 commands us, churches started to tell people, just bring them to church and we'll tell them about Jesus. And what that really has done is it's, it's rendered a whole generation of Christians relatively impotent and unable to actually live out the fullness of their calling. Ananias wakes up. Let's say it's Tuesday. He wakes up, and just like many of us, we, 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 we wake up and we, we pray to the Lord, and we say, all right, Lord, what, what, do you, what do you have for me today? Can you imagine that you wake up like any morning, Lord, thank you for this day. You're so good to me. I love you. Thank you for your love. I just want to be so attentive to you today, Lord. What, what do you have for me today? Hey, Carol. I want you to go talk to this person who hates Christians. That's, that doesn't seem like a typical assignment from the Lord. <clears throat> After he questions the Lord, Ananias, right, says, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Did you get the wrong person, or did you tell me the wrong name? Because I think we might have got our wires crossed here somewhere. Um, I'm pretty sure that you don't want me to go to that guy because he's probably going to arrest me or beat me or kill me. Uh, you sure? You didn't mean like somebody nicer, maybe more pleasant? He says, no, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And Ananias being literally like, can you can we just pause here for a second before we go forward? I can't make eye contact with all of you, but I want you to make eye contact with me for just a minute. We have no idea who we will impact. No idea. And if you follow the trail of your faith, you will see people in your history who are unsung. They were never great men or women of God. They, they, they didn't do, maybe some of them did, but there's also these people in our past that were just humble, gentle servants of the king that showed us the love of Jesus. For me, it was, it was, this, it was Terry Masco. When I, was, when I was 10 years old, August 21st, 1986, I got saved and married on the same day of the year. I always thought that was fun. But August 21st, it makes, me, it makes it easy to remember when I got saved also. So, okay. August 21st, 1986, this evangelist comes to the church that I was attending, West Clarksville Baptist Church. And in this little country, you know, whitewashed church, this man comes in and he just, he's like, he, he was like this super overweight dude. He was wearing a suit that he probably bought when he weighed less. And and it just looked like like buttons were going to like fly off and hit someone in the eye. 
but his face was beet red. I can remember. I can see it so perfectly still this day. Beet red. And he's just screaming at us about the, the fires of hell, right? And I was freaked out. I mean, completely freaked out. I was so scared that when they said, does anyone want to get saved, right? Literally half of me, because no one moved, right? No one in the whole church moved for whatever reason, right? So they keep playing just as I am. Anyone else ever been in this? Okay. So, you know, we're on like time number five, and, and he's still yelling, and, and I half, I'm not even kidding you, I, this is not for, for humor. I half went up because I was afraid of hell, and half went up just that he would stop yelling. Like, fine, I'll do it. But I was so scared in my seat, and I thought, this couldn't be right. This can't be right. Like, I should be afraid of this? Like, what's going on? And I was sobbing. I was crying. And, he, and, he, and I, like, came up to the altar, and he put this, like, big old sweaty hand on me. Right? And he says, you know, who will take this new young brother back? Well, this this old man, Terry Masco, comes up. And I'm still bawling. I'm like in a dither. You know, I can't breathe. I'm like <laughs> so he takes me back. And he sits me down. And he's just smiling at me. <clears throat> and he says... Dave, you don't have any reason to cry. God loves you so much. This is a beautiful, good day. This is not a day to be afraid. And he, he shared the gospel with me differently than the evangelist. And he was gentle. And he cared enough to tell me these words of hope and redemption. And even though I didn't understand it perfectly at 10 years old, I was introduced to the love of Jesus that satisfied the wrath of God. You know what Terry Masco did with the rest of his life? Nobody knows. I don't know. His wife was my cafeteria monitor in elementary school. She was a really nice lady, too. Do you remember them? I don't know if maybe he did that for two other people, ten other people, a hundred other people. I don't know. He was an unassuming man who took the time to meet with a young boy who misunderstood the gospel, and he led me to Jesus. And I can tell you this morning that if Terry Masco had not done that for me. It would not have been possible for me to share over 20-some years of ministry to share the gospel with hundreds, if not thousands. We all have people like that in our life. I would dare suggest to you this morning that you are that for somebody else. You, you might not preach to thousands. You might not stand in a stadium full of people and proclaim the gospel. But what if? What if? Let's keep reading. 
Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's keep going just a little bit longer. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. The one is so important. The one is so important. And when we understand, just to tie last week to this week, when we understand that what we are doing, our first and foremost responsibility, we've been talking about this for weeks now, our first and foremost responsibility, the only job you have, listen so carefully, the only job you have is to receive love from God and to give it back to him and to others. Everything else is secondary. Receive it from God, give it back, and give it to others. That's it. If we would make that our primary job, everything else would change dramatically. And the way that we can do that with consistency is to remember and to recognize that the nature of our relationship with Jesus is not something that we're doing with him. It's not something we're asking for him to come along with us. But we are remaining in him. And the things that we do are according to the love that we receive. As we pour that out to others, we do it through him. And it is so important to not look for the big flashy deal it's so important it's why it's it's why with with regularity i mean i i this this is not about you guys know this isn't about me whoever is the right person to proclaim the name of jesus and what we need to learn this is what we do so if it's you know somebody that we recognize already as as being a leader in the church you know we give them the mic Men, women, children, it's all happened here. Amen? And not only that, but sometimes we even take risks. and We don't know what we're going to expect from somebody. And we hand them the mic too. Because the one matters. And we want you, I want you to know this morning, number one, the worst thing going on in your life right now, Jesus is on your road and he's ready to meet with you. The path that you're on, Jesus is there too and he's ready to meet with you. And number two, knowing that he loves you that much and recognizing that you are in him and you are working through his power and through his presence as you are doing this, 
can we recognize how important it is to not negate any opportunity that we have to share the love of Jesus. It's so, it's a gift, honestly, to us. It's a gift. And you have no idea who that one person is that you might talk to later today. Or maybe it's Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is. You have no idea what God has for their future. Jesus actually promised that Saul was going to suffer. He said he's going to learn how much he has to suffer for my name. Verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. The tables have turned. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. We don't really know how many days have passed, but just as we close and and worship team, you guys can come on up. We don't know how many days have passed here. It just says when many days have passed. But he comes to a town, Damascus, to essentially arrest and kill Jews. I mean, believers. He's there with authority from the chief priests, and by the time he departs, The Jews are plotting to kill him instead. And it says, though, this is after many days. It says, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But who? Who's who's listed there? You guys, you can look at your Bibles. It's, It's right there. Don't. Right, his disciples. His what? His disciples. breathing threats and murder at the beginning of the chapter. And by verse 23, discipling people in the way. Church this morning, just to reiterate how important this is for you to know, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. I don't care how far away you think you are, you are not far Because the path that you're on, Jesus will meet you on that path. And he will change your life. And he will give you the power and the strength to overcome anything that you are going through. If he can transform Saul's life to such a degree, he can change yours. And secondly, now with this knowledge that we have about the love of Jesus, do not hesitate. Church, listen. Do not hesitate to freely show and tell of the love of Jesus. Because when you do, you have no idea. You have no idea who it is that you might be speaking to and the thousands that they may reach for Jesus. Are you willing this morning to just be a humble servant? Are you willing this morning just to be willing to share with one or two, or however many God gives you. But as the Holy Spirit leads during this Christmas season, what would happen? Just, just 
dream with me for a minute. What would happen if a group of people would say, just in this next week, I, I will tell one. I'll, I will trust God as I, as I remain in him. I will trust God to point someone out to me. And in that moment, I will, I will share how Jesus has changed my life. I will share how much Jesus loves them and wants to transform their life. Would you be willing to do that? And can you imagine if, if 75, 80 people left here this morning and went and told just one. But I don't want anyone to leave here this morning thinking that you're going to go and you're going to do this out of performance. And the way that we can do that, church, is you can understand and embrace the fullness of how God loves you, how much he loves you, how completely he loves you, how relentless he is with his love. We sang... Did we sing it yet? Are you getting ready to sing it? Thank you, Lord. How reckless he is with his love. Yes, Lord. We don't we don't do this very often, but let's just let's just close our eyes for a minute. Just, just feel God's leading. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you're desiring to do right now. We trust you. Church, there is no there is no shame here this morning. There's not one person in this room who hasn't been in the place of desperately needing the love of Jesus. And I'm I'm listening to the Holy Spirit now. I'm doing my best, but I'm hearing that there are several in the room. <laughs> Been working so hard to convince others that you love Jesus. You've been working so hard to keep up appearances. But this morning you recognize deep within yourself that you've not given yourself fully to the Lord. You have not made your home in Him. Friends, I just want you to know that there is more for you to experience in Jesus than you have up to this point.
Father, stir hearts. Help people to remember and to understand that perfect love casts out all fear. There is no fear in love. And so friends, if there is any among us this morning, if it's you, can I just encourage you to let this be the last day that you pretend to be the last day that you work so hard to keep up appearances. Can I tell you that Jesus is inviting you to fully give your life to him this morning? No more games, no more magic prayers. That you would fully make your home in Jesus and you would receive the fullness of his love and truly be his. If if you know that that is you, let's let's not let's not hesitate. I'm not gonna draw this out at all. If you know that that's you, regardless of however long you've been going to church, regardless of any circumstances, this morning, if you know that Jesus is leaning on you now to say, come to me, give your life fully to me, surrender to me and find freedom for the first time in your life. If that is you, would you just be bold in this moment? Would you just raise your hand? You know that's you. Jesus is calling for you to surrender your life to him. Is that you? Amen. Is there anyone else? Amen. Father, I know that there are probably some some among us right now that are still hesitant, still unsure if they're ready to make that commitment. And we praise you, Father, that this isn't the only moment that you'll ever pursue them, but that you'll continue on whatever path they are and you'll meet them wherever they are when they are ready and when you are ready. For those of you who are still struggling to, to come to the terms of fully surrendering your life to Jesus, Can I just encourage you to keep asking, keep pursuing, keep learning, keep making yourself available to him. Jesus does not give up on you and neither do we. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, you're confident in that relationship that you have with Jesus this morning. Would you just ask God a simple question? Jesus, who do you want me to talk to? Father, would you just give a name to each person in this room right now? I pray that that you would surprise people (laughs) by the name that you provide. more than just trying to do things for you we want we want to do things through you we want to know who it is that you want us to talk to we want to have divine encounters so father i pray that you would just grant a name to each person in this room right now 
and in courage and obedience and in your strength and in your name and in your power. May we go and be the people that you have called us to be and may we be true and obedient to the assignments that you give us. Because God, we recognize we can never know the fullness of your plans. We can never understand how it is that you could love even the most difficult of people, including us. And so because you are relentless and reckless in your love to us, teach us through you how to be relentless and reckless in our love for those who do not yet know you. In this Christmas season, Teach us how to be your light in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. stand with us. Before I spoke